Welcome to episode number 76 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about a case study of a nylon flock explosion in the textile industry. We've done a couple of these episodes now. We're covering case studies of specific explosions. The purpose is to go through the literature, go through the research and the resources that are available to pull out specific case studies in different industries so that you can use them in your understanding and your research and your background and your education for combustible dust safety, both of yourself, but then also of your clients and your coworkers and your leadership teams. So we're covering a broad spectrum of different types of case studies, different types of industries, and using that to then illustrate important areas for combustible dust safety, important areas for knowledge gaps in the space. Back in episode 69, we covered a dust explosion in a fish meal factory in Norway. And this was from a dust explosion uh, textbook in the field of dust explosions, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries by Dr. Rolf Eckhoff. In episode 71, we covered a metal dust explosion in a 3D printing application. This was at the Powder Parks Inc. facility. And this was based on OSHA investigation and OSHA citation results um, that were published publicly. And then back in episode 74 of the podcast, we covered an explosion that resulted from insufficient venting during a silo, a sawdust silo fire. So there's a fire in the silo um, that led to buildup of combustible gases in the silo, uh, which eventually had an explosion led to a fatality, unfortunately, of a firefighter. And in that case, the silos were vented, but they weren't vented properly. Um, a couple things were not taken into consideration. There were bag filters in front of the vents. Um, but more than that, the bolts had rusted out in the silo construction. It was a, a bolted silo, and the strength of the silo was no longer strong to withstand the explosion. So when the explosion happened, the vents didn't have a, a chance to function. The top actually blew off the silo. So you can see we're kind of covering different types of incidents, different types of industries with these case studies to give you an idea, again, of different specific cases that have happened, as much details as we can find on what happened so that we can help increase this education. Also, you can use these to further understanding, help educate the people that you're working with as well. So in today's episode, we're talking about a nylon flock explosion in the textile industry. This is an incident back from 2001 that occurred in north of Italy, and the investigation was completed as part of a journal paper. The paper is entitled Case Study of a Nylon Fiber Explosion, an Example of Explosion Risk in a Textile Plant. This is by Luca Marmo. It's published in the Journal of Loss Prevention, in the process industries. It was published in 2010 in volume 23 of the journal, and that's page 106 to 111. So we'll include a link to the, the journal article here where you can get that information if you're, you're looking to purchase that article. But it's published by Dr. Luca Marmo, who we actually had present at the Digital Dust Safety Conference earlier in this year. And he is from the Polytechnic de Torino uh, in Italy as well. So I mentioned that this explosion happened at a flocking facility in the north of Italy in 2001. And it actually happened when the dryer was shut down. So they had to go in um, and do some maintenance activities. And we'll talk about what those were. And when they brought the dryer back online, a large explosion happened that actually ejected a fireball into the facility and, and injured three workers, um, two of them quite severely with burn injuries from that explosion. So in this episode specifically, we'll talk about what is flock. Um, what does the flocking process look like? This is sort of a non-traditional material when you think of dust explosions. Maybe you think about feed and food and coal and powdered materials. Flock are, are fibers. And 
a lot of cases, people don't realize that these type of textile materials can be explosible in the exact same way that dust can be. If dust is dispersed in the air, if you have a fine fiber and those fibers are dispersed in the air, they can have a deflagration propagate through them, as we'll see what, what happened in this incident. So we'll talk about what does the flogging process look like, what did this facility look like, um, and we'll talk about the results of the incident investigation as published by Dr. Marmo in his paper, um, covering a review from the witnesses that were there, uh, the measured properties of the flock material. In this case, it was nylon flock. Uh, the post-incident damage, what actually were the results at the facility afterwards. And then that's used then to come up with the dynamics of the explosion, what actually happened, and what was the sequence of events that led to the explosion and the injuries in this case. We'll close out this episode just with some closing thoughts that I have about difficulties around these non-traditional dusts, non-traditional materials, materials you wouldn't really think of as being your classic dust explosion uh, materials. And this, this term, non-traditional, I believe comes from Dr. Paul Amiot, and it's been used in literature to describe these types of dusts, describe nanomaterials, um, describe things like hybrid mixtures as well. Not your classic dust explosion problem, but still cause injury and loss in facilities like we're, we'll see in this incident today. So flock is a, at least the flock that's used in the type of operation here, is where there's a bunch of small fibers, and these range from, from half a millimeter to, to one millimeter in length, and generally from 10 to 100 micron thickness. So these really fine sort of short fibers, and they're applied um, actually to a, a central core. So you have a longer fiber then that maybe is you know several centimeters long, and the flock's applied to the outside of it. Uh, to give you this kind of, uh, you know, fuzzy textile material. And these can be made out of cotton, acrylic, polyester, nylon, and they're used for things like noise reduction, insulation, um, surface protection, floor mats, those sorts of things. So the flocking process that involves taking these, taking a, a ream of long threads, dyeing them to the color that you want the damn material to be, cutting them to length, and then these are applied to a nylon core. So you have a nylon thread, a long one that's impregnated with glue, and then you apply the flocking fibers to that to get this, uh, you know, flocking material. And the fibers are actually pasted onto the nylon core using an electrostatic field. So if you use the nylon core as the ground and you put a charge into the nylon fibers, then they'll actually stick up lengthwise around the outside of this core, stick into the glue, and then it's a drying process to actually finalize that flock material to get the, the end product. Again, that's using things like noise reduction, insulation, and surface protection. So at this specific facility where the incident happened, um, there were three parallel drying lines. Drying line one and two processed 163 of these core threads at a time, um, and the third dryer processes 120 of these threads at the same time. Each of the dryers is quite large. They were 14 meters long, two meters wide, and six meters high, and they have multiple sections. So each of the dryers have a lower part where the incoming freshly created flock is is flowed in through through with warm air that goes through the lower section i believe twice and then it goes into the upper section after that where it has a, a long residency time as the material and as the flock continues to dry in the, the hot air the whole system is heated through a heat exchanger system that uses oil at 270 degrees celsius and this is heated with fins in the air and that keeps the whole system warm as the flock's drying there's also uh, ducting at the top of the system that goes through to dust collection system. So dust collection system is consists of a dust collector with 12 bag filters, each with a 30 centimeter inner diameter. This receives air from the inflow line where the fresh flocked fibers are, and that's where they enter the dryer. 
and that's where they're most likely to detach from this core thread. And then it also receives purge air from each dryer to control humidity, and that goes through to the dust collector system as well. The last note is that each of the dryers have 11 inspection doors, um, and we'll see that this was a, an important, played an important role in the actual explosion as well um, and the injury to the workers. So in terms of the investigation, the authors of this paper broke into a couple different areas. They talked about the statements from the witnesses, talked about the properties, the measured properties of the flock material itself, these, these small, short, um, and thin nylon fibers. They talked about the post-explosion damages to the facility. They talked about, use that to determine what the potential dynamics of the explosion are, what was the process that happened that uh, led to the explosion, how the explosion propagated through the facility, and how that lead to the, the workers getting injured. So in terms of talking to the witnesses, um, the process that actually occurred that day was that one worker noticed some broken threads in dryer number two, and this happened at approximately 4.10 in the morning. So the standard procedure was to shut down the dryer to retie the, the, the core threads. So they did that, they shut down the dryers. This turns off the fans or shuts the fans and shuts the valves that controls the heating medium. But the heating system is still hot inside the dryer when that gets shut down. We'll see that's actually pretty important um, to how the, the explosion occurred. At about 5.45, so about an hour and a half later, um, or just over an hour and a half later, they were finished up. So employee number two started to close the inspection doors to the dryer, and employee number one went to turn on the, the line. When the line was turned on by employee number one, um, an explosion happened immediately. Deflagration propagated throughout the dryer system. Flames spread throughout the facility, burning the employee number one who was at the control board turning the system on. Employee number two was still closing the dryer doors when he was knocked down and he had suffered severe burns as well. And another employee was also injured during the explosion and, and flash fires that filled the, filled the facility after the explosion happened. So that gives you an idea of what happened process-wise. The investigators also looked at the properties of the flocking material. They went in, uh, measured these using standard testing apparatus like the 20-liter chamber, um, like the standard, tepering, the standard testing apparatus for minimum ignition energy. So in the 20-liter chamber, they determined that the lower explosible limit or the minimum explosible concentration for the flocking material was 70 to 80 grams per meter cubed. Um, so sort of in the same sort of concentrations you expect for, for a lot of combustible dust. They did thermographic metric analysis to determine if the flock could release flammable gases at the heats that were found. They did find at 270 degrees Celsius that the, the nylon flock did release some combustible gases. And they measured the MIE of the material as well. And they noted that it wasn't possible to use a standard testing apparatus to uh, measure the MIE. So they had to change some of the parameters, but they came up with a value about 145 millijoules, which would be in sort of the medium to medium high range for combustible dust, maybe even the low of the high range. Um, so it's not really an easily ignitable material in terms of uh, ignition energies. From looking at this post-explosion damages, they looked at a couple different areas. They looked at the dryer assembly, they looked at the dust collection system, and then they, they had some other observations that they noted. In terms of the dryer assembly, they found burnt nylon flock throughout the entire dryer assembly. This is important because it demonstrates where the, the deflagration took place. Anywhere that the deflagration passed through, the heat flux from that fireball melts any of the excess nylon material, and then that sticks to the walls. So by looking at where the nylon material is melting, you can see where the 
deflagration propagated, but you can also tell where it was the hottest. Where the nylon is thin, this, uh, you know, melted nylon material, where it's thin, there wasn't a, a lot of flame to pass through. And where it's a thickness, that's where the hottest, largest resonance time for the fireball was. They found the most thick layers of this nylon material was in the upper part of dryer number two, um, and inside the ducts leading back to the suction system and to the dust collection system. So again, this indicates where the highest temperatures were found, most likely where the explosion originated and had the the worst case um, conditions there. Looking at the dust collection system, I actually found that one of the bags was detached in the the battery of uh, bags in the dust collector. And they, from looking at it, uh, realized or determined that it had been detached for quite a long time before the incident happened. Um, This was leading to the dust collection system not being as effective as it should have been. And this led to the very high flock deposition inside dryer number two and in the ducting. And also they found a lot of uh, melted flock on top of the heat exchanger inside that dryer. Um, So we'll see this gives an idea of where the explosion originated from um, and where the fuel, why there was so much nylon flock material found in the dryers in the first place um, and then through the ducting as well. Some other observations that they found was that every inspection door was open in the dryers even though the employee had closed them. So this suggests that each of the three dryers witnessed overpressure and that caused all the doors to open. This, in terms of injuring the employee, was a bad thing. In terms of the structural integrity of the dryers, it was probably a good thing. These acted as vent panels, if you will. The dryers did not have any exposure protection on them and probably would have had a, a pretty severe explosion had those, those uh, inspection doors, had there not been so many of them, and they hadn't have all been able to, to come open. Um, they also found a very large hole between the ducting and the dust collection system coming back from the dryer. So you had the dryers, the ducting, and dust collection system. There was a, a large hole in the ducting um, where the deflagration had come out the side of the ducting. And the reason this is important is that there was a, a large jet fire that came out of the side of this ducting once, the, once it ruptured. And you can tell how large this was by looking at the plastic burnt material. There's plastic drops that were ejected from this uh, large fireball. And the radius of this jet fire was 18 meters by 18 meters. So you can imagine the explosion happens and the dryer comes back ejects through the ducting, again, luckily or unluckily, depending on how you look at it, but if it hadn't have, you know, ruptured the ducting and maybe made it into dust collector, it would have caused a, a larger explosion in terms of structural damage than it did by ejecting with that jet fire. But it was a very large deflagration that came over there. 18 meters by 18 meters was the size of the fireball and the melted plastic that was sprayed from the, uh, the, the jet fire that came out of the ducting. They found the building itself suffered only minor damage. All glass was broken, but there's little structural damage to the roof or to the, the beams and the columns of the facility because uh, it was much larger than the dryers in which the explosion happened. Through their investigation, the authors uh, proposed two alternative ignition processes that could have occurred when the dryer was um, turned down or turned off for the hour and a half. When the first smoldering combustion could have happened in the nylon flock that um, settled out on the heat exchangers because we know there was a lot of nylon flock top, top of the heat exchangers and they were still hot. This could allow allowed a smoldering combustion to occur. Then when the drivers turn back on, that lets fresh oxygen flow back into through the system, which would have caused flaming combustion and it could have ignited either the flock material in the vicinity of the smoldering combustion or even combustion gases that have been released from the flock material. The second ignition scenario is uh, electrostatic discharge 
inside the dryer ignited again either the flock material itself or hybrid mixture of the flock material and the combustible gas is released. In their investigation, the authors note that they couldn't distinguish between which of the ignition aiding causes occurred. The MIE of the material was quite high at 145 millijoules, so this suggests that you need a pretty strong electrostatic discharge to ignite it. But then again, in the presence of combustible gases from the the material um, being released from the flock material as it's heated and allowed to sit there, those combustible gases build up, then you'd have a hybrid mixture or even potentially a gas explosion that was ignited, which might have a lot lower um, MIE and and be able to be ignited from a, a less strong electrostatic discharge. The other scenario, again, the smoldering combustion, was deemed to be the most probable, but they did do some testing and they were not able to um, get smoldering combustion onset in a laboratory testing uses, using a standard apparatus, which is stainless steel plate, um, heating that up to set 270 degrees Celsius. They're unable to get onset of smoldering combustion in the nylon flock. Regardless, the authors chose that one of these two mechanisms were the ignition source. Then by looking at things like the damage to the uh, between the ducting and the dust collector, looking at the fact that all the dryers were pressurized um, and that the inspection doors were open, they came with the following sequence of events. So there was ignition of a primary explosion inside the upper part of dryer number two. Again, this could have been through electrostatic discharge, igniting a hybrid mixture or combustible gases or the nylon flock itself, or could have been through smoldering combustion being oxygenated as the system was turned back on. The explosion, primary explosion, then ignited a secondary explosion in the flock material. This propagated throughout the ductwork above dryer number two towards the dust collection system. The authors state that since the flame front could not propagate through the bag filter, it reverted and divided into three, and they call them fluxes, but three paths. So the deflagration couldn't propagate through the bag filter, so instead it went three different directions. Two were back upstream to the other dryers, um, and that's what pressurized all the three dryers, or at least pressurized dryer number one and dryer number three and opened all the inspection doors. The explosion in dryer number two pressurized that. And then the third path was ejecting out the side of the ductwork at the flange between the ductwork and the explosion. This is what ejected the jet fire then back into the facility. So the jet fire is what injured the employee number one that was at the control panel. And then the explosions ejecting from the dryer number two and out the inspection doors is what uh, injured employee number two. And then another employee was also injured during the, the explosion that was occurring there. So and just for, for restating that, the explosion happened in the upper section of, the primary explosion happened in the upper section of dryer number two, then caused a secondary explosion in the flock material through the dust ductwork back to the dust collector. The explosion then, or the deflagration then propagated back through into the other two dryers upstream through their ductwork and also ejected out the side of the ductwork of dryer number one, or the connection between dryer number one and the dust collector. Um, and cause the jet flame back into the facility. So that gives you an idea how this incident happened, how the workers were injured, um, the process that was involved in the ignition of the deflagration, and then the steps the deflagration took to propagate throughout the machinery and throughout the the facility. You're probably asking why by now, you know, where was the explosion protection? There was no venting installed. There's no isolation between equipment. Um, there was no real prevention program in place, and 
these kind of startup and, and closed down procedures are critical areas that we see for the cause and onset of dust explosions. So I want to leave with a couple closing thoughts here. And thought number one is that they actually did find that there was a risk assessment done at the facility. However, it didn't consider any, any of the explosive properties of material or any explosions happening. This comes back to what I, I mentioned at the onset, that we have a, a real challenge in our industry on just recognizing combustible dust as a hazard. And then these flocking material, these fibers, are even more so than that because they're even different and even less incidents are seen day to day. Uh, they're less likely to be realized as explosion hazards. So you're less likely to find explosion protection and prevention measures being put in place at these facilities. But as demonstrated here, they're, they're critical to protect the workers that are at these facilities, having things like isolation, having things like um, explosion protection through either suppression or venting or whatever the process that you're using is, are really critical. I just want to read one statement from the paper here at this, this part about the risk assessment at the plant. At the moment of the accident, so when the accident happened, none of the safety people involved in the accident, including labor inspectors, um, including the people at the facility, were aware that fibers could explode. And I think this is probably a, a statement that a lot of people, even if you're listening to this podcast episode, you might be thinking, really, uh, a fiber could do this? Yes, it's the same as combustible dust, especially if you have this really small diameter of the fibers in the range of 10 to 100 micron. Um, even though the, the one dimension is quite a bit longer, it could be up to a millimeter, you still have these materials that are uh, can propagate a deflagration when suspended as a cloud. Um, and the last uh, part that the author says here is that the situation has not changed I mean, it could be useful for European regulations to take into explicit account the danger of fibers, um, including them as combustible dust. And just my closing thoughts here, I want to I want to mention a couple things. So I mentioned this risk assessment as one. I also get kind of nervous because for these non-traditional dusts, we have even a larger uphill battle to deal with realizing the explosive nature that these materials can have. And again, this kind of term non-traditional has been coined by Dr. Paul Amiot, or I believe was coined. Um, by Dr. Paul Amiot in his research and with his research associates. But I want to specify something here because uh, lately, uh, as part of a project for a paper that I've been working on, I've been reviewing the comments to the OSHA Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on Combustible Dust, the ANPR, that they released in 2010. And the thought here was to get an idea of what the comments were. I think there was 120 of them sent in from industry, sent in from workers, sent in from labor unions on this proposed rule. And specifically, there are, there are associations that sent in comments specifically around textile, specifically around flocking operations. Um, and I'm not going to name the associations, but there were comments in there ranging, and these are not unique comments to um, these industries, but I was using them to highlight an example here. You actually see these comments across all industries. Um, they sort of range in these three levels. So the first one is a dust fire explosion is not possible in these type of operations. Those words are almost explicitly used. Um, a dust fire explosion has never happened in our facilities using these type of operations. And then if you kind of back it a little bit farther, this process could never generate enough dust to reach explosible levels. I'm sure you can find people that would say these exact same things about flocking operations, about textile operations. That's why I want to highlight this at the end of this, this episode in this case, um, an explosion happened. And the reason that the author suggested that smoldering combustion was the most likely cause was because the operators had specified that fires were not routine in the dryers, but they had happened in the past. So they know that there was the ability to generate a fire in there. 
and you hear these almost same words used for industries and facilities that are saying that um, explosions ever happen here. Well, you ask them, well, you do have fires. Yeah, we have fires sometimes. So that's not a, you know, it's not an explosion. In a lot of cases, it's not. But in some cases, it is. In some cases, it's a, you know, a, a step before. It's a precursor to an explosion happening. You have a fire, 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 explosion. You're at least filling a lot of the explosion pentagons or the deflagration diamond, if you will, um, if you're having these these fires. So it's really critical to look at. So a couple of these notes again. Then. So dust fire explosion is not possible in these type of operations. It's never happened here. Um, this process could never generate enough dust to reach disposable levels. In this flocking operation, all of these were able to be found. And we've actually had, even in the instant database over the last couple of years, specific incidents related to textile facilities. Um, we had one worker injured in 2017 in a manufacturing facility in Leominster, Massachusetts. And this was at a, at a flocking facility. And I believe I'm going to include a link to the sh- in the show notes at uh, dustsafetyscience.com slash 76. But I believe that incident, we actually saw it, it was a pretty similar type of situation for the, the explosion that happened here, at least these facilities processing flock. So it is possible in these type of operations. It may have never happened at one specific facility. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen at the industry, especially if you take a global perspective. Um, and in their paper, Doctor, in his paper, Dr. Marmo mentions a couple other investigations that have been done on flocking operations post an explosion happening as well. Um, so you just need to broaden the scope and you'll, you'll see that they, they are happening. Um, and then things like, you know, you can never generate enough dust to reach disposable levels. Is that true under normal operating conditions? Is it under true under abnormal operating conditions? I would say that anytime you shut off a dryer, you could potentially reach disposable levels, even if the dust collection system was working properly. Um, if you had that material settling out of the airstream, and what if you have the dust collection system that's not working properly, it's letting the dust build up? Um, then you you need to either address that as a scenario that could lead to an explosion or put exposure prevention and protection measures in place. So the last, actually two points that I'll close off on, and then we'll, we'll leave this episode. One is on startup and shutdown operations. These are really critical times, and I want to mention this in the, the current times we're in with COVID-19 at the time of this recording, if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, we're recording now in March. This will probably come out um, around the end of May 2020. A lot of facilities are either partially shut down or shutting down their operations. And the question is, when they come back online, what steps are you following to come back online safely and avoid fires and explosions? I'm hoping that we won't see an uprise of, of fires and explosives as entry gets geared up once they're able to get over this uh, this global crisis that we're in. And this is a topic that I hope we'll actually bring on, talk about more on the podcast moving forward, these startup and shutdown operations. And then the last one I'll mention is these materials are actually quite difficult to test. I know because we've done them in my uh, during my graduate degree. I wasn't testing it, but we had students come in um, and do testing on flock materials. They're hard to test under the, under the standard testing conditions. Uh, in particular, they're very fluffy, so you can't get enough of it in the um, dispersion reservoir and in the dispersion tubing to do your standard test. So what you end up normally doing is placing it inside the chamber, dispersing it with an air blast. But that's a different process than the standard process that needs to be followed to identify things like KST, to identify things like standard uh, minimal explosible concentrations. And the reason I mention this is that you really need a level of expertise then to say, is that applicable or representative of industrial conditions? The flip side, if you're not able to get a test that works right, say in, in one case you 
put this flock material in the reservoir and none of it actually makes it into the chamber. You do the test, you don't have explosion. You say, that's not explosible. That's a mistake. <laughs> you, you, it wasn't explosible because the test couldn't operate properly. So you do need a level of expertise to be able to test these type of materials. And if you're in one of these kind of industries, you really want to make sure you're dealing with operators and know what they're doing um, and are able to do the test and give you an understanding of what could happen at your facility. And again, under representative industrial conditions. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Again, this was another case study. We've done a number of these now, and this one was specifically a nylon flock explosion in a textile industry that injured three workers. We talked about what is flock, what did the facility look like in terms of its layout, how the dryers were laid out, how the suction and uh, part of the facility was, and the dust collectors. We talked through the results of the investigation. The investigation found that the most probable causes of ignition were either electrostatic discharge inside the dryer, uh, but more likely than that was that uh, a smoldering combustion or fire started in the dryer, which was oxygenated once the system was turned back on, which uh, led to an explosion. And I closed off with some closing thoughts uh, around things like performing risk assessments and whether making sure that the, the explosable nature of the materials that are handling is included in that. Some difficulties I have and struggles with um, industry perception of these types of materials and make sure that they, they really are classified as combustible dust and can have and do have um, risks associated with explosion. And then close off some things around startup and shutdown and difficult to test materials like this. So that's it for this week of the, the podcast. I want to thank you again and as always for listening. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I know we have a lot of folks that are working remotely now um, and even a lot of folks that may be struggling with uh, you know, the, the current environment to have their facilities stay up and running, have their business stay up and running. I just want to say that us at Dust Safety Science, we, we really appreciate one support and help you stay safe and help you, uh, you know, stay he- healthy out there in the world. So I appreciate everything you're doing. Keep your head up and we will get through this together. And I appreciate everything you are doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world to make them safer every day, every week, and in the years moving ahead. Thank you.